Good morning. Okay, our scripture for today is Matthew 6, 9 through 15. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Hallelujah, his word. Allison, your receipts have fallen. I'm just going to look at them the whole time. There you go. Let's see, where did you go? Dollar Tree, all right. <laughs> Not spending much money in the children's ministry, all right? Dollar Tree. <laughs> they need a little extra funding. <laughs> Servant Church, Trinity Church, we all need some help. Um, welcome to Trinity. My name is Jonathan. We are in the last week of our series that we have entitled Holy Resistance. Been looking at the Lord's Prayer. My goal has not been simply to teach the Lord's Prayer. I'm at least doing that. I don't think Jesus's goal was to simply teach a form or a pattern of praying. I believe that his goal was to teach a lifestyle shaped by the content of the Lord's Prayer. And so that's where we're going to get you to today as we conclude. Hopefully you'll feel some of those principles um, just kind of pounding on your heart. And we spent six weeks talking about praying. And my hope is that after six weeks of listening, if you've been coming, is it for those who call Trinity home, that you will say exactly what the disciples said in Luke 11, Lord, it's time to pray again. I got to learn to pray again. I want to learn to engage with God, to encounter him. I want to know him face to face, right? Heart to heart, soul to soul. I want him to shape my life. Is it possible? I can't see this God, but can he shape your whole world, the way in which you view life and family? I think the answer is clearly yes, right? God is alive. God is active. God is moving. One of the things that we do in this space when you come on Sunday is we answer a few questions because we're all confused right, about who we are and about who God is. And one of the things that we do when we come to worship is we answer the question of who God is, but who he isn't. Because we have misconceptions about who God is because of the life that you've lived because of the influence and the voices and the pain and the trial. We come in with different definitions and expectations of who this God is. And when you read verse 15 today, when we read verse 13, verse 13, often we're confused, wondering if God, in fact, leads people into temptation, because that seems to be what we're praying about. God, lead me not into temptation. So a thoughtful person should stop and say, is God the sort of God who leads me into temptation. Who is this God? How do we answer that question? From intuition and experience? Maybe, but that's secondary. We go to Scripture first. And in James 1.13, we read this. James writes, let no one say when he is tempted that I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts 
No one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. You're probably jumping way ahead of me because the the word temptation is loaded. In just a moment, I'm going to break that word down for you and see what Jesus is really talking about. But can I simply say as we start, God's not like that. God's not like that. And he is not a judge up in the heavens who is luring you to the edge of a cliff so that he can watch you fail and he can watch you fall. We resoundingly say we have a father in heaven who's not like that. So whatever this verse means, it does not mean that God is luring us into temptation. Scripture has made that very clear. So this has to mean something else. So we'll look at this under three parts. Number one, lead and deliver us. The bulk of the sermon will be under point one. Okay, lead and deliver us. We'll spend most of our time there. Part two, we're going to look at, well, if you're going to lead me, we are going to follow. Right? We will follow you, point two. And then number three, we'll wrap up this series by looking at and concluding with holy resistance. Right? What does it look like to be a people and a church who are valuing prayer as we move forward? So lead and deliver us. We will follow when you lead and holy resistance. All right? I would like to begin with a little bit of a case study, and I want you to picture two distinct and different young ladies who have worked very hard through high school and have taken as many AP classes as they could handle. They were involved in all sorts of extracurriculars. They have achieved their goal of making it into the, one of the UCs, whichever one you choose. Should we go with Riverside for today, right? That's the one that's often overlooked. Let's give Riverside some love, okay? They've made it into a UC, and these four years are marked with the exact same sort of discipline and focus and intentionality. They've worked really hard. They graduate with honors during their time. They're noticed by big tech up in the Bay Area. They, each of them during their senior year, get a job offer. They move, move into one of the wonderful neighborhoods up in San Francisco, and they begin to make great money, and they have the start of a very promising career. Two young women very similar paths. But it wasn't long before an unexpected economic downturn creeps into their community, forces companies to downsize, and sure enough, both women are laid off. Jobs are impossible to find. Companies have gone conservative, and so there's no new hires, and weeks of unemployment turn into months of unemployment, and it feels like years of dedication and discipline have been overturned in a moment. Stories like this happen all the time. One gal responds with disappointment, but her anger begins to grow, and it gives way to entitlement, to a lack of trust in God, blame-shifting, fits of rage, and other forms of destructive behavior. Gal number one. Gal number two, she responds with the same deep disappointment, but she, tra- she channels her grief and her anger and her emotions in constructive ways that look a lot more like trust and faithfulness and obedience and even worship. See, this little case study shows us two women with very similar paths, and each one has collided with what Jesus calls a temptation. Not your standard definition. The word that Jesus is using also means trial or test. Both of them have had hard work undermined by forces outside of their control. They have both hit the wall of unfulfilled dreams and unemployment. Both have hit what Jesus calls 
a temptation, but it is their response that distinguishes them. Very similar life circumstances, but it's their reaction to what life has given them that Jesus wants us to pay attention to, that he says matters so much. In verse 15, if you have it in front of you, the word that has been translated as temptation is the Greek word perasmon. And it can mean trial or it can mean test. In some cases, it might even mean trap. But the bulk of this understanding has to do with trials or testing. Getting bypassed for a promotion is a trial. Honest reporting on your income taxes where you know how you can get around it is a test. A difficult season in your marriage, Jesus would probably call it a parasmon, right? It's a temptation. It's a point of trial. It's a point of testing. Children with little, parents with little children, we have a lot of them in the room. I never would have said that I was an angry person until I had my third child. All right, I did pretty good through one and two, but like sleepless nights, And all of the the new right to vote no that increased in the four-year-old and the two-year-old with the newborn, right? They have this right to, to kind of voice their opinion. All of this grows when you have a growing family. But guess what? Those things didn't cause the anger in me. All they did was expose what was already in my life. Parents want to say, I just need more sleep. And bless your heart, yes, you do, right? But that's not the root cause, We've hit the trial called family dynamic. And what it brought out of me was not beautiful. It was not something I'd put up on the screen and show you, but it's honest and it's real. It brought anger, frustration out of my life, but I'm not blaming it on the lack of sleep or the children. But what's my reaction to the difficult part of my life, to this season? An athletic competition that does the same thing. It tests you and it tries your body. It reveals strength and endurance and skill. Test can be a very good thing. James 1.2 says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Testing can refine your character. We know this. Only intense pressure can take coal and turn it into a what? A diamond, right? Only intense trial, testing, temptation, parasmon, pressure. It can refine you. It can change you. I would like to hope and say that I'm a different parent than when I had a newborn and I had a four-year-old and a two-year-old, but the pressure was real. Jesus says these things can expose you. They can change you if you allow them to, right? But they also expose what's really going on in somebody's life and in in somebody's heart. And this way it can feel at times like a test or like a trap. When Jesus teaches us to pray, Father, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil, he's not telling us to pray against every temptation, trial, or test. He's not even asking us to pray that we would never be, quote unquote, tempted. In fact, from reading of the gospels, we know that Jesus himself is tempted. This is such incredible news. It's so helpful to stop there because you have to know that if the perfect man, our Savior, was also tempted, then the difficult things that you're facing in your life, the issue is going to be, as you're going to, I'm going to show you in a moment, it's your reaction to those things. 
It's not the fact that temptation comes. Temptation is always going to be there. They can be macro. They can be micro. You are going to encounter something that is going to force a response. How are you going to respond? And Jesus teaches us how to pray about those. But we worship a God who faced trials, hardship, rejection, slander, abuse, mocking, public defamation, and a humiliating public death on a cross. Christians are often so wounded, not by the circumstance, but because we thought that the trial would never come because I believe in Jesus. Yeah? If you have walked with Jesus for any amount of time, you realize that these are the moments where we're often the most rocked in our faith. It's because we've become a Christian. We've walked with him for a certain amount of time, but the trial is coming. The parasmon is coming. You're going to have to have a moment in time where you respond, and it's actually the fact that it entered into your life that causes the most spiritual damage. This is why a lot of people do walk away from faith. It's not because of the trials, because they expected God will not allow this into my life. Christianity does not say that to us because we have a suffering servant at the center of our faith. We worship a God who faced trials. Look at 1 Peter 4, verse 12. 1 Peter 4, 12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Often when the difficult things have come into my life, I do treat them as very strange. Jesus, I've been faithful, or at least I'm trying I'm not perfect, but I'm trying to love your church. I'm just trying to walk with people. I'm trying to love my spouse. I'm trying to be faithful to you. Why is this happening? Peter says, do not be surprised when the fiery trial comes into your life. It's always going to be there. This is a prayer about our responses, right? And about our reactions to the trials and to the temptations. What he's actually praying and teaching us to pray about is that we wouldn't enter into the temptation. It's always going to be there. But he's saying, I want you to approach it differently. It's like a door. Don't walk through the door and into the temptation, because in the temptation, as you'll see in a moment, is something that separates us from the love of God. He goes, it's coming at you. How are you going to respond to it? Two women have the, the, the career and the dreams, all of them being met until one moment. How are they going to respond to it? I've got the perfect marriage until you don't. I've got kids who follow until they walk away from faith. What am I going to do in that moment? How do I respond as a Christian? Jesus knows trials that are coming your way, so he teaches us how to pray about them. And really what he's doing is he's teaching us to pray that sin or the evil one, would not win the moment. He says, when you face something, you have an opportunity to honor God or honor yourself. Trials come in your way. Are you going to allow sin to enter into the equation so that you begin to allow that to be a big part of your decision-making process so that it guides your mind, life, and heart generally according to the dominant values of society, maybe largely being power or comfort? Not that God is anti-power or anti-comfort, but are you going to lean into a response that where God is really on the outside or is there a reaction that's different? He's teaching us to pray about that. He's teaching us to pray that sin 
or evil or the evil one would not win the moment. Sin within our hearts and evil luring us into more sin is the problem. Temptation's not the issue. Jesus was tempted. The issue is how we react to it. Last week, we spent most of our time talking about sin and forgiveness. But why is sin, in short, why is sin such a big deal? Well, it's because God is holy and sin opens up a huge divide between you and the Father. And so what Jesus is saying here when he teaches us to pray is actually incredible. He's saying, when you hit the trials of life, pray that you don't enter into sin. How come? Because I don't want to lose you. I'm your father. You are my children. When you enter into temptation, there's going to be a wall. There's going to be a divide, and I'm going to lose you. And I have had children that when they were little, I have lost them. It's like the worst experience in the world where you feel like it's my responsibility to watch this little life. I remember being in La Jolla Shores. My son Aaron, he was probably one or two. There were families everywhere. I'm hanging out with the other two, being a responsible dad. And I turn around and the two-year-old is gone. Can't find him for about four or five minutes. He is running down the boardwalk. My man's going surfing, all right? Found him. My wife, my wife lost him the next day, which made me feel amazing. <laughs> but I had a call and be like, I lost Aaron for like four or five minutes. It's in eternity when you can't find your child. When I was young, I got lost as a child for a very long time on the beach. It is the worst experience for a parent to lose a child, any shape, any size, any form. And this is what he's saying, don't enter into the temptation. How come? Because I don't want you to lose me and I don't want to lose you. That's what this is about. See, it's tender. It's personal. This is not about, quote, unquote, the Americanized versions of sin and temptation. This is like, man, life is real. You had trials and things that were difficult this morning before coming to work. Did you allow sin to enter into it? He goes, it's coming for you. It is coming for you. Pray that you would be able to react and resist in a holy, godly way. Now, some translations will say, deliver us from evil. Maybe you have a translation that says, deliver us from the evil one. It personifies it, but both are actually good translations. The Bible believes in a personified evil being who is the enemy of God. The reason I believe in the devil is because Jesus believes in the devil. Jesus teaches us about his enemy. He believes in a literal, personal force for evil called the devil or Satan. But listen, the devil is not God's equal. So important. The devil is a created being. He is not God's rival, equal and opposite. This is not yin and yang. This is not darkness and light. This is not like there's ever going to be any question of who's going to win this battle. Jesus is the only God. He is unrivaled. There's no one like him. There are forces for evil coming at him and his people. No doubt, do not be naive. All right, but this is not God's rival. This is God's enemy. He doesn't like God and he doesn't like you. 
For many people, for many Christians, it's embarrassing to even speak like that. Why would we talk about a personified force for evil in the Bible? Of course we believe in goodness and God, but right, this kind of personified evil or devil or Satan, we avoid it. You don't need to fear it. But Jesus believes in an enemy. He believes in a personified force that's warring against redemption in your life. And he teaches us to pray about that, doesn't he? In 1 John 3, we learn this about Jesus. Learn the reason that he came. 1 John 3 says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Okay, part of his purpose on this planet was to destroy the works of the devil. Question mark. What are the works of the devil? What's he doing? He's doing the same thing he's been doing since the very beginning. What was he doing in the Garden of Eden? Tempting, testing, trying Adam and Eve to believe that God was not worth it, that God was not reputable, that God was not trustworthy. This is the whisper always coming at your heart. The devil wants you to believe that God is not real, that God is not true, that God is not loving, that he's not a father, that you are abandoned, that you have to create your own sense of purpose and meaning and direction. These are the lies. Do you know that he is called the what? The father of, what is it? The father of lies. This is who the devil is. A lie is what? Something close to the truth. At times it becomes so believable but it's very far from that which is real, that which is true. And the devil's whispering to your life in various means, in different ways. There's forces, powers, and principalities is what the scriptures call them. Things coming at us that want to undermine real belief. You know what we're doing in this space each weekend? We're going, we're going to expose the lie. We're going to allow the Holy Spirit to expose the lie. What lie have I lived into? That's what a lie is. You know what a lie is? It's an idea. You know what you do with an idea? You believe it. You know what you do with that belief? You live into it. Then the Holy Spirit is present right here, right now, dismantling the things that we have believed that are not true about yourself, about reality, and about our God. The devil wants you to believe that God is not trustworthy, that the story of Jesus is not true, that it will not change anything in your life. But we are here to say, that's not the real story. That's why we have called this holy resistance. Holy resistance. Jesus knows we are prone to wander and prone to believe things that are not true, prone to enter into temptation, Wired to mistrust. And this is why he says, when you pray, pray, lead me, deliver me, right? Rescue me, save me. Grant me more of the grace you died to offer. I need it or I'll enter into that door. I'll do it. But with you, there's a new future, right? Part one, lead and deliver me. Let me take you quickly to we will follow where you lead. It's one thing to believe in Jesus. I would say it's another thing to want to follow where he leads you. Do you have a life of following Jesus, apprenticing under Jesus, believing that he is who he said he is? There are very few alternatives open to us in the Gospels. 
If we believe the truth of what the Bible is, is writing to us and telling us about Jesus, then we've got alternative number one, which is either reject him as crazy or we follow him as Lord of our life. Which one is, is going on in your heart? This whole prayer is about discipleship. I want to show you two specific things that come out of this portion of the prayer. Two beautiful things baked in about discipleship and apprenticeship under Jesus. Number one, Jesus throughout this whole prayer will not allow us to forget that we are praying to our Father. All right? Even in this petition, lead me and deliver me out of temptation. Who? My Father. In Luke 11, Jesus asks us, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? My oldest son just had his wisdom teeth taken out. Uh, Mason is 14. And uh, those couple of days, you know, he's, he's just eating liquids. And we said, hey, he can't play basketball. He loves basketball right now. Very active young guy. Let's go do something fun for him. Let's get him a Lego, okay? So he can just sit and do something. He doesn't have to be moving too much. And so we went to Target. I took Mason, I took my youngest, and we walk around. And we're just gonna get like a 40 or $50 Lego. We weren't gonna go to the Dollar Tree, all right? We're gonna go get him a, a real Lego. But, <clears throat> sorry, Allison. And, and um, when we were looking around, and Legos are expensive, by the way, right? Legos are legit. All the parents are like, I know, I know. <clears throat> Legos are expensive, then we saw the Millennium Falcon, okay? And we've been thinking about it for years. And I said, Mason, today's your day. <laughs> today's Millennium Falcon Day. You will always remember that when I had my wisdom teeth out, my dad took me to Target, and that was the day we bought the Millennium Falcon. I long to bless my son. And I spent too much money on a Lego so that he would have a memory of when he was 14 in a difficult week that my parents spent way too much so that they could love me. And that's my heart for my children. And I'm a broken human being. How much more does our Heavenly Father love you? Have you experienced that? Have you bumped up against his heart's desire for you? Have you spent time with him? Do you know his character? Do you know the whispers? Do you know his word? I want to encourage you to read the Bible just so that Christians can read the Bible because I want you to know the Father's heart for you. Right? When you pray this, always remember you are praying to a Father who sees you, who loves you. You are his child. And number two, second thing that we pull out of this, Notice that the petition to be led away from temptation comes after, as Jesus lays it out, comes after the petition for forgiveness, okay? You don't have to pray in order. Jesus is not going to get angry if you take one petition above the other. He gives us a certain form, and we've gone through it in a certain order. I think there's a reason for that. But as he lays it out, we have prayed for forgiveness right before he tells us to pray against temptation. This means that you have already received what you need when you pray the last petition. Lead us not into temptation. What do I mean? It means that when you come to God, oftentimes we're looking for something from him. Remove my shame, take away my guilt. He will do that. 
But when you get to the third petition and you say, lead me not into temptation, there's nothing left to get from God. You have already received what he wants to give you. In other words, all of your forgiveness is taken care of. You've prayed for it. He's applied it, which means when you get to this point in the story, you're not needy. You're not needing anything from him. You're just wanting to resist the sin because it separates you from the father. Right? Lead me not into the temptation. I'm forgiven. I don't need anything from you. I just want to be with you the heart of discipleship. I want to be near him. I want his proximity. I want his presence. This is when you know Christianity is starting to go deeper into your soul. It's what Jesus calls the secret place. I don't need anybody to see me. I just want to be with him. And that's when it starts to transform your life. We want that for you. We want to help you get there. We've got a few things we put in place that will help you get there but this is the heartbeat of Jesus's prayer. We will follow Jesus where you lead us for your sake, even if it doesn't benefit me. And then thirdly, just a couple of comments as I close under holy resistance. A German theologian, Karl Barth, is quoted as saying, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. To clasp our hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprise against the disorder in your family, in your past, in your present, in our world. You know why? Because God shows up. When you pray, God shows up. God's presence, God's spirit, God is with you. All the promises become fiery and real when you pray. You go, I don't know how to pray. Pray the Lord's Prayer. It has been so revolutionary for me over the last six weeks to not jump ahead to petition. That's the human reflex. Jesus, I need something from you. But to stop and go, before I ask, and you know I'm going to ask because I need help, you are my father. And that's holy resistance. I'm not going to treat you as somebody who can simply give to me. I'm going to treat you like we're family because you have died to make me a son or a daughter. Holy resistance. God shows up when we pray. Let me review the last six weeks in three minutes. All right? Each of the phrases of the Lord's Prayer, if we can put them up. When we pray, this way we enter into a pattern of asking the world to change. Our Father in heaven, the greater value is interdependence, not radical individualism. Interdependence is what it means to be a church. It's what it means to pray this prayer. Our Father, we are not alone. You are not insecure. You do not have to wonder. God sees you. He knows your name. He knows that he has a plan for your life. He's invited you into a family. We are not alone. We resist that temptation. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We treat you as sacred. Jesus, you are the most important person in the room. That's what that means. 
You are hallowed. You are set apart. You are holy. You are treated as primary in my life. I'm going to pray that way until it becomes true of me. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Bring your redemptive reign of grace into our lives. You are a God of redemption. Bring it here. Start with me. That's what you're praying. Bring the kingdom now and start with my family. We need your help. I am a kingdom builder. My kingdom is not going to benefit anybody in the long run, but the kingdom of God is going to bless people for eternity. I'll take more of that. Come and do it. Start here with us. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. We trust you. We submit our control to you. We are control maniacs. Would you provide? You are the provider. We don't need to carry a scarcity mentality. You will show up. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Jesus, do not let me forget what it costs for me to be in your family. And it cost you everything. It cost Jesus his life and he was willing to do it, but it cost a lot. He's a forgiver. Forgiveness doesn't come cheap and easy. And as I experience the forgiveness of the gospel, make me radical in giving it away. Make us radical, radically known for redemptive relationships where healing takes place. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Simply, we don't want to be separated from you. There is a door in front of you. It's called a trial. It's called a test. It's called a parasmon. You're going to walk through it and allow sin to dictate, or you're going to say, my father wants to know me, and I want to know him. I'm not entering into it. Help me. And then he will. In Luke chapter 11, the disciples simply prayed, Teach us again. Show up again. We need you now. Shapes the way you pray, sure. Shapes the way we really live. Yes? It's to shape the way we live. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your pattern of prayer. You didn't teach the disciples to preach. You didn't teach them to evangelize. You didn't teach them to necessarily make disciples. That came later. But you taught them to pray. You gave them a pattern. No shame, no guilt. We all have a unique experience and relationship to prayer. Most people who have walked with you say, I wish I was better. Lord, this isn't just about the secret place, as you called it, meeting with you. It's about an encounter that changes our life. And we want that. We ask for nothing less than an encounter with the Holy Spirit that changes our life. Lord, we're here to meet with you. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Each of my friends in the room right now, different thoughts, different expectations, different understandings of who you are. 
but you're not a God who takes us to the edge of the pit to tempt us. You're a God who refines us, changes us, renews us, says, I want you. Help us to see who you really are. And Jesus, I pray for a spirit of motivation, the proper fuel to become a praying church. I would also like to become a praying pastor, a praying dad, a praying husband, because I want more of you. No guilt, no shame, no enforcement, just the invitation to come. And so we are here, we have come. So meet with us, we pray. Use these songs as a way to drive what we have heard today and the last couple of weeks about the vision for our church, becoming a praying church, place of expectation, place where lives are changed, where the gospel is experienced, where people are made and matured as followers of Jesus. All of that stuff, you gotta do it. Help us to want it, because I think you want it. We'll follow where you lead. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.